commentaries on the four last books of Moses, arranged in the form of a harmony. Volume 4, by John Calvin. Numbers chapter 14, verses 20 to 25. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valley. Tomorrow turn you, and get you into the wilderness, by the way of the Red Sea. Verse 20. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. God signifies that he pardons for his servant Moses' sake, and makes, as it were, a present to him of those whom he had already devoted to destruction. Hence we gather how much the entreaties of the pious avail with God. As he has said in Psalm 145.19, to fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He would indeed have done of his own accord what he granted to Moses. But in order that we may be the more earnest in prayer, the use and advantage of prayers is commended when God declares that he will not only comply with our requests, but even obey them. But how is it consistent for him to declare that he had spared those upon whom he had determined to inflict the most extreme punishment, and whom he deprived of their promised inheritance? I reply that the pardon in question was not granted to the individuals, but to their race and name. For the opinion of some is unnatural who think that they were released from the penalty of eternal death, and thence that God was propitiated towards them because he was contented with their temporal punishment. I do not doubt, then, but that Moses was so far heard as that the seed of Abraham should not be destroyed and the covenant of God should not fail. For he so dispensed the pardon as to preserve their posterity uninjured, whilst he inflicted on the unbelievers themselves the reward of their rebellion. Thus the conditions of the pardon were of no advantage to the impious rebels, though they opened a way for the faithful fulfillment of his promise. 21. But as truly as I live, all the earth... It is indeed plain that God here swears by his life and glory. The meaning is only ambiguous in this respect that some translated in the past tense that the earth had been filled with his glory, which had already been displayed in so many miracles. And this seems to accord well with what follows. Those who have seen my glory shall not see the land. Still, the future tense suits the context better, that is, that God should call to witness his glory, which he will hereafter assert. Moses feared lest the destruction of the people should be turned into a reproach 
and contumely against God. God now declares with an oath that he would so vindicate his glory as that those who were guilty of so great a crime should not escape punishment. He proclaims that those should not see the land who had shut their eyes against the miracles of which they had been spectators and eyewitnesses, and in their blindness had endeavored to set them at naught. For, inasmuch as they had not been taught to fear God by so many signs, they were worse than unworthy of beholding the land, the possession of which ought to have been assured to them by those very signs, if God's truth had not been utterly rejected by their ingratitude. God complains that he had been tempted by them ten times, because they had not ceased constantly to provoke him by their frowardness, for it is no fixed or definite number which is intended, but God would merely indicate that they had done so without measure or end. We have elsewhere shown what it is to tempt God, that is, to subject his power to the narrow rule of our own senses, and to prescribe to him the mode in which he is to act, according to our own desires, so as to defer to him no further than our carnal reason dictates. The source and cause of this tempting of God is subjoined, that is, when men refuse to listen to his voice, since nothing but obedience, which is the mistress of humility, can restrain our insolence. 24. But my servant Caleb. By synecdoche, Caleb alone is now accepted, although Joshua was a partaker of the same grace, as he had been also a sharer in his courageous conduct. But Caleb is especially distinguished because he had, as it were, uplifted the banner and had stood forth first to encourage Joshua. The sum of his praise is that he fulfilled to go after God. The word will, which some understand, is superfluous, since the expression is complete without any addition. God, therefore, commends Caleb's perseverance in obeying, because he not only promptly exhorted the others, but also proceeded boldly and unhesitatingly, without being deterred by any obstacles. God, however, magnifies his perseverance because he looked to him alone in his noble conflict with so great a multitude. For it is an extraordinary case for a person to stand firm and to hold a straight course in the midst of violent and tempestuous disturbances, when all the world is, as it were, convulsed. Although the word ruach is sometimes used for the disposition of the mind, Yet I have no doubt but that Moses signifies, by metonymy, that Caleb was thus influenced by divine inspiration. Verse 25. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites. Some thus resolve these words, although the Amalekites dwell in the valley, and others thus, since the Amalekites abide in the valleys, to lay ambuscades. Others think that their object is to inspire terror, lest the Israelites should remain too long in the enemy's country, since they would be daily exposed to fresh attacks. I am, however, rather of the opinion that they are spoken in reproach. For they had already arrived at the borders of the inhabited land, 
so that their enemies might be put to the rout at once. Whereas God commands them to retire and thus expels them from the land which they had actually reached. Still, I do not deny that he sets before them the necessity of the case and thus enforces their obedience, as if he had said that nothing now remained but to retreat and again to throw themselves into the desert. Verses 26 to 38. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation, which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness." And your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years, and bear your whoredoms, until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. After the number of the days in which ye searched the land, even forty days, each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities, even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. And the men which Moses sent to search the land, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him, by bringing up a slander upon the land, even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land, died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of the men that went to search the land, lived still. Verse 26, And the Lord spake unto Moses. I have translated the copula by the word itakwe, therefore, to indicate the connection with what precedes. For Moses does not here recount anything new, but by way of explanation repeats a point of great importance, that is, that they who had refused to enter the land would be deprived of its possession. He begins with a passionate interrogation. How long shall this troublesome dregs of a people be born with, who never cease to murmur against me? And God says that he had heard their turbulent cries. In order that they might more certainly perceive that their pride was intolerable, since God himself was weary of it, although he is long-suffering and slow to anger. It is in bitter irony that he says he will deal with them in accordance with their own resolution and desire. Nothing indeed was further from their intention than to wander in the wilderness, but since they had held back from entering the land, God says that he will gratify them in a very different sense, that is, 
that they shall never enjoy the sight of that land which they had despised. By his oath he expresses his extreme wrath, as also it is said in Psalm 95.11, Unto whom I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. It was necessary that their stolidity should be thus aroused, lest when God was so greatly provoked they should still continue self-satisfied according to their want. He aggravates their punishment by another circumstance, that is, that they were to be deprived of the inheritance which he had sworn to give to Abraham. For the lifting up of the hand, as I have said elsewhere, was a form of oath, just as if God were called down from heaven by the outstretched hand to be witness and judge. And although this does not indeed literally apply to God, still we know that he commonly transfers to himself the things that belong to men. Moreover, this was a most severe reproof, that they by their wickedness and self-will should nullify a promise which God had ratified by an oath, in so far at least as its fulfillment affected themselves. For he points out immediately afterwards that although they had rejected the proffered blessing, he would still be true, and would bestow on their little ones that which they had refused for themselves. It is thus that God tempers his judgments against those hypocrites who falsely profess to honor his name so as to preserve a seed for the propagation of his church. Nor is he ever so severe towards the reprobate as to fail in sustaining his mercy towards his elect. Nay, he here declares that he will be gracious towards their children as a means of inflicting punishment on the fathers. It was an indirect accusation of God when they lamented over their children as if they were to be carried away as a prey, whereas God promises that they shall be the possessors of the land in order to reprove this wicked blasphemy. 33. And your children shall wander in the wilderness. He here pronounces that their children shall be in some measure partakers of their punishment, inasmuch as they shall wander in the desert until the time prescribed. For by the word shepherds he means sojourners, who have no certain or settled residence. To this effect is the similitude in the song of Hezekiah. My lodging is departed as a shepherd's tent. Isaiah 38.12 in short, he declares that they shall be wandering and unsettled and lead a life like shepherds conducting their flocks from place to place. He calls the wicked rebellions, whereby they had corrupted themselves, metaphorically, whoredoms. For from the time that God had espoused them to himself, their true chastity would have been to embrace his grace and sincere faith, and at the same time to devote themselves to his service. But by rejecting his pure worship, they had broken their sacred marriage vow like gadding harlots. This example teaches us how God visits the iniquities of the fathers on their children, and yet chastises no one undeservedly. Since the descendants here referred to, although atoning for the fault of others, were still by no means innocent themselves. But in the judgments of God there is always a deep abyss, 
into which if you fear to be plunged, adore that which is not lawful to question. Nevertheless, there is no doubt but that thus God also provided for the welfare of those towards whom he appeared to show some marks of severity. For he waited not only until they had grown up, but also, as was advantageous to themselves, until they had attained the strength of manhood and until a new generation had sprung up. He assigns a second reason why he postponed the fulfillment of his promise for forty years, that is, that he might repay the ill-spent days by as many years. Having then spoken of their children, he again returns to the actual criminals themselves, who were to be consumed in all that long period of time, as if by a lingering disease. The noun tenuot, which I have rendered vanity, is derived from the verb nu, which signifies to render ineffectual. Translators, however, extract from it various meanings. Some construe it, Ye shall know whether I am false, or whether my word shall be vain. Others, rendering it prohibition, depart more widely from the sense. But, in my judgment, it is an ironical concession whereby God reproves their detestable pride, which had no other object than to accuse God of falsehood, and to charge him calumniously with failing to fulfill his words. Unless, perhaps, it should be preferred to take it passively, because the people had endeavored to annihilate, as it were, God himself. But still I rather adopt this sense, that they should perceive by certain and experimental proof whether God's promises were frivolous or vain. Moreover, we must bear in mind the admonition of the prophet to which I have referred, Psalm 95.11, and which the apostle adapts to our present use, Hebrews 4.6. That is, that a better rest is now offered to us, from which we are to fear lest our unbelief should withhold us. For it is not sufficient for us that God's hand should have once been extended to us unless we allow ourselves to be directed by it until our earthly wanderings are concluded and it conducts us into our heavenly rest. 36. And the men which Moses sent to search the land. I do not at all approve of the view which some take that this is recorded by anticipation, for there is no question but that Moses recounts the special punishment which was inflicted by God upon the perfidious spies. He had previously treated of the general punishment of the whole people. When he now relates that the ten men were smitten by the plague, he intimates that God would begin with them so as to manifest by his conspicuous and notable example how grossly he was offended by their very disgraceful contempt of his grace. Their sudden and unnatural death was therefore a kind of presage to all the others of the punishment which awaited them. For in the first place the expression, the plague, is emphatic, as much as to say, that they should not die in the ordinary course of nature. Again, by the sight of God, he means something else than as if he had said before God, for 
God was not merely a beholder of their destruction, but in a strange and unusual manner he executed his awful judgment as if he had publicly ascended the tribunal. And this appeared more clearly by his prolonging the life of Caleb and Joshua, who were the only survivors of that generation until the end of the time prescribed. It is true indeed that the verbs are in the past tense, but since there is an evident prolapsus, I have not hesitated to change the tense, which is a sufficiently common idiom of the language, and thus the connection of the address is better preserved. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 34 to 40. And the Lord heard the voice of your words, and was wroth, and sware, saying, Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land, which I swear to give unto your fathers. Save Caleb the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him will I give the land that he hath trodden upon, and to his children, because he hath wholly followed the Lord. Moreover, your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, and your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither, and unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn you, and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. 34. And the Lord heard the voice of your words, I have shown elsewhere what is meant by God's hearing, that is, that nothing can be concealed from him, but that he will take account of and judge all our words and deeds. And this is worthy of our observation, for men would never dare to murmur against him unless they promised themselves impunity from his not being present. Secondly, we learn from hence that God, who is a just judge, does not proceed hastily and without cause to inflict punishment on men, and that he does not manifest severity without a full examination of the case. He, therefore, means that they deprive themselves of their assured inheritance when they were close upon receiving it through their own rebellion and depravity. 39. Moreover, your little ones... I have already shown that God so tempered his judgment, that, whilst none of the guilty should escape with impunity, still his faithfulness should remain sure and inviolable, and that the wickedness of men should not make void the covenant which he made with Abraham. He therefore pronounces sentence upon them that they should never enjoy the inheritance which they had despised, yet declares that he will nevertheless be true in the fulfillment of what he had promised, and will display his mercy towards their children, whom in their despair they had condemned to be a prey to their enemies. When he limits this grace to their little ones, whose age did not yet allow them to discern between good and evil, he signifies that all who had already arrived at the years of reason were, from the least to the greatest, accomplices in the crime, since the contagion had spread through the whole body. Surely it was an incredible prodigy that so great a multitude should be so carried away by diabolical fury as that nothing should remain unaffected by it, 
unless perhaps a timely death removed some of the old men rather on account of the vice of others than their own. But if even a hundredth part of them had been guiltless of the crime, God would have left some survivors. To have no knowledge of good and evil is equivalent to being unable to discern between their right hand and their left hand, by which expression in Jonah, chapter 4, verse 11, God exempts from condemnation those little ones who have as yet no power of forming a judgment. From hence, however, some have foolishly attempted to prove that infant children are not defiled by original sin, and that men are involved in no guilt except such as they have severally contracted by their own voluntary act, arbitrio. For the question here is not as to the nature of the human race. A distinction is simply made between children and those who have consciously and willfully provoked God's wrath. Whereas the corruption, which is the root of all evils, although it may not immediately produce its fruit in actual sins, is not, therefore, non-existent. This audio recording was read by Michael Ives. I hope you found it enlightening and edifying. Visit westportexperiment.com for more audio resources and where I write about parish missions, the care of souls, and all things Reformed.